All right, well, as uh, we already kind of mentioned, today is the first Sunday of us as the chapel here in Akron, and I'm excited to be here with you guys. If I'm uh, <clears throat> just being honest with you for a moment, the past couple of years have been a little bit interesting, right, for us as a church, um, and I've had a tendency over the course of time to really have this in a bunch of areas of my life, but a tendency to look at something in the future and go, man, once fill in the blank happens, everything is just going to be good and easy, right? This happened for me all the time here, right? Once we get um, this project finished, once we get this position rehired, once we've done this vote or that vote, once we've got the mission and vision figured out, right? Fill in the blank, whatever the thing has been here over the years, that feeling of, oof, once we just get over that, everything will be normal and calm again. Honestly, I had built today into one of those things, We'll get the new constitution sorted out. We'll make sure all the other churches are launched and they're on their own and doing well. Right, we'll get to that first Sunday in September and it'll be smooth sailing. And as we were sort of sorting out the schedule, right, sorting out some things for this summer, sorting out some things for this fall, I'm looking through the preaching calendar and I see that it's me, week number one, and that, I don't know, I'm finishing the book of Psalms, right? God, it's a great book. But I was like, really? I'm just going to wrap that up on the first day of us as an independent church? Now, if you're um, feeling some version of that, do not worry. Tim will be starting a new series speaking specifically to our church next week. But for me, God did something uh, really cool in my heart and mind this week that I'm praying he'll do for us collectively this morning and that he'll stir in the hearts of our church as we step into this next chapter. So this morning, we're looking at Psalm 16. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, I'd encourage you to open up to Psalm 16. If you need one, there's in, uh, one in the pew back in front of you. Psalm 16 is a Psalm of David, and we'll break this thing down together, but I want to start by reading the whole psalm because um, together it's this beautiful mix of uh, praise and adoration and thankfulness, and as I was studying it this week, was reading it almost as a, a self-talk sort of reminder, God reminding me of uh, his word and what is true about him and about me. So if you made your way to Psalm 16... I'll read for us here. Again, I'm going to read through the whole thing. I'm reading out of the ESV here. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken." Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. 
In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, you are good and we are thankful that you reveal yourself to us. God, today as we study your word, um, would you reveal to us who you are uh, and who we are in light of you? God, we love you and pray, um, would it be your words during this time? Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I love this as an entire unit, but let's sort of zoom in to some sections here. So starting in verse one, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. All right, so he begins with this recognition of need and dependence, right? This is just, I can't preserve myself. I need somewhere to take refuge, This very simple idea that I I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. I can't protect myself. I need to find refuge in you, God. Preserve me. He says here, uh, verse two, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. That word Lord comes with this image of, of authority, of power, of all things submitting to him. But what I love about this, uh, this word is for, for a lord or a, a king, there's not only the expectation that, that they have power and authority and control and you're just like under that. Gotta submit, gotta submit. But Lord has this picture of um, a submission, not only submission to his authority, but this picture of I, I'm going to accept responsibility for you. I'll be the person who accepts responsibility for protecting you, for guiding you, for explaining to you the expectations. When you're under a king, right? Yes, you're under their authority, but you're under their protection. He says here, "I, I have no good apart from you. Just a very simple acknowledgement that every good thing is a gift from God. Every good thing you have is a gift from God. But what I love here too, right? The recognition that, yeah, there's no good anywhere else. Anything good, it's because I'm connected to you. It's because it comes from you. And we're, we're going to come back to this a little bit later. But the acknowledgement here is not only that these are gifts from God, but they're gifts that point us back to the ultimate gift giver and to the ultimate gift, which is God himself. It's not just the good things we have, it's that we have a good God. Many of us, I think, uh, especially before we know the Lord, can feel very dependent on ourselves. I can figure it out. I have what it takes. Time and time again, it leaves us empty and searching. Psalm 16 begins just with this simple reminder that we are a dependent people and we're choosing to find refuge in our dependence in God alone. Look with me at verses three and four. 
It says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So he has this very real contrast here, right? He has the saints or the, the excellent ones, those who are God's people, and then he's seeing the sorrows of those who run after another God, right? So he's got the, the saints, the excellent ones, those chasing after another God, and he can look and so easily say, man, those who are following God, those who have submitted their lives to him, it's, it's so much better it is so much better. It's uh, excellent, right? <clears throat> Dare I say it, delightful to be surrounded by God's people, right? Who recognize their dependence on God, who love and obey him as king. They can collectively say, man, we, we see where life apart from God leads, you can see the culture around us. You can see the, the friends and family members and people you know who are far from God. You can see where that life is leading and go, I don't want any part of that. But the hard part is for many of us, there are so many things that seem to have a, a draw or an appeal to them. Let's say, man, if you, if you just had that thing your life would be so much better. Whether it's the, it's the money, it's the career, right on social media, it's the followers, it's the likes, it's the views, right at, at work, it's the, the power, the authority. In your personal life, it's, man, if I just had the spouse, if we just had a couple kids, if I just got the new phone, like right? you name it, we can put any, any of these good gifts we get we have a tendency to turn good gifts into terrible, terrible gods. But there's something about it that makes us go, ooh, that's gonna bring me security. That's gonna bring me safety. And so David's just calling out here, man, it's delightful. Life is so much better when you're surrounded by people who get it, who can pull you back from that, that tug towards the world, this tug towards these other gods lovingly call you out, lovingly hold you accountable, lovingly point you back towards God. And that's exactly how God's designed his church to function, to be a community of people who know him, who follow him, who love one another and keep each other focused on him. But when we think about this, right, there may be something inside some of you who go, man, it is so good to be around God's people. I love coming here on a Sunday. I love being a part of my ABF. I love hanging out with my Christian friends. I love, you know, whatever it is, to the point where we would, we would actually begin to push the world completely out. And we go, yeah, I am actually just gonna be with Christians. And this thing happens over time where we, we just uh, sequester ourselves back into our own little world and push everybody else out. Now, at the risk of veering off of a rabbit trail here, I, I hope you know that's not what David's aiming for, right? Your, your close community absolutely should be Christians. When you're trying to figure out, man, what kind of career move am I gonna make? Where am I gonna live? What am I gonna do, 
right? I'm wrestling with something with my spouse and I just don't know who's right or who's wrong and I need an outside perspective on this. I'm having money troubles and I just don't know what I should and shouldn't be spending money on. Those types of things, those are your close community questions. Those are the kind of questions that as you're seeking out answers, you need people who have a godly perspective in mind. But the temptation will be to push everybody else out. But it's clear that through the, throughout the New Testament, we see this, that we're supposed to be in close proximity to non-believers in a way that they get a picture of what God is like and who we truly worship. Just a few quick examples. In Matthew 5, 13 and 16, it's the picture of salt and light that God's people are supposed to be a preserving agent for the culture and a light shining to the world around them. In John 17, 15, Jesus is praying for his disciples and he says, I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, but that instead you would keep them from the evil one. Right? Not, not removing them from all those terrible in, uh, influences, but protecting them while they're in the midst of those influences. And perhaps the one that captures kind of this best is in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. Actually, I'm going to go into 11 here too. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you'd need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality. Right, so outside of the church, outside of God's people, and we are supposed to be integrated into culture and society to be an influential voice and presence. Inside the church, we gotta be careful we got to lovingly call each other out. we got to lovingly call each other back into um, right relationship with God, obedience to him. And so, yes, right, it is a delight to have close, godly friends. If you just right off the bat go, I, I'm missing that. I've got like one or two, but I don't really... Again, next week we have the groups fair. The week after that we're doing a serving fair Right again, if you're somebody who's here and you're like, I've attended service, I, I know one or two people, but, but that's about it. I'd encourage you these next two weeks to, to check out a group, to check out an opportunity to serve and get plugged in here and find your people. But in the midst of that, don't lose sight that we are supposed to be integrated into culture and society to not hide our lights under a basket, right? Or remove ourselves from areas where there are people who have yet to become believers. Let's look at verse five and six here. It says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I mean, sim simply put, it's the acknowledgement that God is sufficient. God is enough. He's all that I need. He's my sustaining strength and power and provision. Right, all the way back up to verse two, 
this recognition that I have, I have no good apart from you. God, you are good. You've given me good things. Compared to those who are chasing after false gods, got these cups of blood offering as a sacrifice to their false gods. David's sitting here going, I, I have the better cup. I've got God himself. And I think this is the truth that I, that I so often forget. I talked at the beginning of looking to like, man, once this happens, once we get over this thing, once that happens in my life, it's gonna calm down, it's gonna be good. David's reminder here is that God is enough. It's a sense of satisfaction that that fill in the blank thing, it, it can't give you the satisfaction you're looking for. You guys all know life, as soon as you figure out one thing, it throws the next thing at you, right? And it just never ends in, I don't know, until you die, I guess, right? That's a sad thought maybe, but, right? It, it keeps on going. It keeps on adding things. And so what David's saying here is, man, if you can find contentment in God alone, yeah, you'll still want the, thing, the next thing to happen and the next thing to happen and the next thing to happen but you'll do so from a place of contentment and peace. And so from David's own spot of satisfaction, he's able to talk about this inheritance, both that he's already received, the good things he's already received, and that he knows are coming. Now remember from David's seat, right? He's a king, ruling over the land, He's got this promise from God that there's an an everlasting kingdom that one of his heirs will rule over. And so he's not only experiencing this joy and contentment now, but he is still looking forward to something that God um, has told him is coming, not only for him, but for future generations. And so from that, verse seven, he says, man, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. These verses are again talking about security. That life is filled with uncertainty and doubt. That each of us has our own little levels of anxiety about name your issue. But that the Lord gives counsel He guides and directs. And I'm confident in his leading and protection that I think what the second half of verse seven's getting at is that I actually sleep better at night knowing that God's got me. I'm, I'm meditating on his word, his counsel, his instruction during the day. It's the thing I'm thinking about as I'm nodding off to sleep at night. He didn't have it at this point, but I'm guessing David would not have been like a Netflixer before bed, right? He wouldn't be scrolling through social media right before bed. David would be meditating on God's word, processing through, man, God, what, what did we talk through today? And that it actually causes him to sleep better at night. Verse eight um, There's a cool thing here in a second. So verse eight, so I I have God front and center in my life, right? I've set the Lord always before me. 
In this second part here, uh, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Okay, so there's a cool book I wanna tell you about real quick. Uh, these are books, or if you've got one of those like Bible softwares, you might be able to buy it in there, but it's called the InterVarsity Press Bible Background Commentary. InterVarsity Press Bible Background Commentary. It's a cool resource that I use that basically helps you step into what is the... Um, cultural and sort of historical context that's going on? And is there something in this passage that maybe somebody at that point in time would have had a little bit of a different background and, and picture in their mind um, than we do today? So this is from that resource, but, uh, but here's what I learned this week that uh, gives this picture of security sort of new, new color in my mind. So... Uh, Imagine for a moment, right, you were suiting up for battle, right? We said, hey, we're going to war. Everybody put on your, your armor, whatever you got. Uh, and I got some shields here. I got some swords here. Like, we're about to go. In uh, this point in time, when that was the case, you'd grab uh, typically your shield in your left hand and your sword in your right hand, right? Going into battle, shield, sword, now, what that means is uh, from my left side here, I've got pretty decent protection, right? Range of motion, I've got a shield, you're coming at me over here, boom, protected. Front on, boom, protected. You come from my right side, right? Well, I've kind of got my sword, I guess I could try to change positions, but I'm kind of vulnerable on the right side. So what would happen is you'd end up going into battle shoulder to shoulder with somebody, and you've got your left side, and they've got your right, and I guess you just hope you're not the guy who's all the way the furthest on the right, <laughs> but you've got protection for yourself over here, you're ready to attack, and you've got somebody protecting your vulnerable side over here. And so David, this picture, uh, perhaps when he's saying this, the picture in his mind is, man, God and I are in this shoulder to shoulder. We're going into battle, I've got some protection. I've got my sword here. But I've got the one I trust most on my right side. Protecting me in areas where I can't protect myself. Carrying a burden and a strength that I don't have. But I've got him on my right side. So David here is coming in. I've got God's instruction I've got God's peace. I've got God front and center. He's at my right hand protecting me. And so I will not be shaken. And in verse nine, he starts to sort of wrap up and there's this word therefore. It's building on this argument, wrapping it all up. Verse nine, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. A couple notes real quick on verse 10. Right, so he says, you won't abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol, it's this term for um, hell or in some ancient translations, kind of this, this underworld. Um, 
second part of verse 10, uh, or let your Holy One see corruption. Right? It doesn't, uh, it's not really how we think of corruption. Probably a better translation of the original word there is um, decay. Right? Or this, contextually here, this picture of like, you won't let me rot in the grave. So as he's wrapping it up, he, he's saying here, this is not just based on my current circumstances, right? Verse nine, I, I'm glad, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. I'm secure. You're not sending me to hell or letting me rot in the grave, but no, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That verse is worth uh, writing it down, putting it on your bathroom mirror, pinning it into your cubicle, whatever you need to do. These are the summary of David's thoughts about God here. Sort of the best way in my mind David could have landed the plane here. You make known to me the path of life. We're all searching for life and security, fullness of joy. And God, you make that known path to you make that path known to me. It's in your presence. What's really cool to me, though, this is, this is again, un, undoubtedly a psalm that David was proclaiming as his own, but it also looks forward to Christ's uh, coming and is used in one of the first sermons in the church. If you want to, you can open to, up to Acts 2. I'm going to read out of there in just a moment, but just to catch you up uh, leading up to Acts 2, right? Jesus has come on the scene. He has lived a perfect life in every way pleasing to God. He dies on the cross, raises from the grave three days later, spends 40 days continuing to teach and prove that he truly is the risen Christ. Uh, and then he, uh, right before he ascends back into heaven, tells his followers, hey, wait for the Holy Spirit. I am sending the Holy Spirit. Wait for that day. Well, in Acts 2, we see exactly what Jesus was talking about. The Holy Spirit descends on his disciples, and at this time, there were a, uh, quite a wide array of Jewish leaders who are in town, and when the Holy Spirit falls on his disciples, they all of a sudden are proclaiming the gospel in each of these Jewish leaders' native languages, um, and it sort of becomes this roar of sound that's like this linguistic mess to the point where they kind of collectively think, ah, maybe this is like a bunch of drunk guys. Like, we don't exactly know what's going on here. Peter steps up to the plate to explain what's happening, right? He's citing the prophet Joel. He explains how the Old Testament scriptures are being fulfilled. Um, and I'm going to pick up here in Acts 2. 22, and I'm just going to read straight from the text here. This is, again, a, sort of a sermon from Peter. It goes, sermon, he's going to quote Psalm 16, which we just studied, and then a little more sermon. So I'll, I'll walk you through it here. Acts 2, starting in verse 22. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, 
This is the quote now from Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Back to Peter's sermon here, verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Right, so Peter's trying to draw this line for them between the Old Testament and the New. And he's saying, yes, David wrote Psalm 16 and had an unwavering hope that he was not going to be abandoned to hell. He was not going to rot forever in the grave, but that he'd experience everlasting life with God. But he, Peter goes, but let me assure you, he died. We have his grave to this day. So he's saying, Man, this, this passage, it, it could not only be talking about David. See, what David didn't fully know when God was writing these words through him was that they weren't just for him, but that his descendant, the Messiah, the King of Kings would come one day and not be abandoned to hell to not rot in the grave, but would raise to new life. And so this contentment, this hope, this joy that David's talking about in Psalm 16, it was rooted in what he was experiencing with God and no doubt in what he knew God was going to do in the future. But for us today, we are on uh, the other side of the cross Right? David was looking forward towards that event. We look back at the cross already knowing what God has done on our behalf. And so the beauty is that we have this same contentment and joy and hope more fully confirmed because of what God has done. Just a, ver a very simple reminder of what God has done. John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So if you're someone, right, who looks at your life and goes, man, I, I don't mind sitting here. I don't mind doing this. I don't actually know if I can have a real relationship with God. If you knew what I've done, if you knew who I really was when I left this place, I'm surprised the place isn't caving in on me right now. If that's you and you're avoiding coming towards God because you don't want him to see all of your stuff, this verse is telling us he already knows 
Yeah, that stuff is bad. Yeah, that stuff is messed up. But that's why you're condemned. Coming to Jesus, coming forth and saying, God, I am messed up and I'm broken and I don't know, I don't even know what to do. But I want to turn towards you. That's the very thing needed. That's where hope and joy and contentment where true connection with God comes. And so if, if you're someone here who, who hasn't trusted in, in Christ, who doesn't even really maybe even know what that means or looks like, I'd encourage you at the end of our service, we'll have pastors and members of our prayer team down front who just love to talk to you about that, to hear some of your story, to, to share whatever you want to share and on our end, share words of life from God himself. If you're someone in this room who has put your faith in trust in Jesus Christ, right, who not only believes that he exists, but believes that his way is best. Again, we have this hope, joy, and peace. We can hold those things even more confidently. As we close out here, again, if I'm honest with you guys, I struggled a little bit when I found out I was teaching this week of just... Right again, we get to this point where it's like, we got the new constitution, we voted it in, we've launched off these beautiful, awesome local churches. Um, we're here the first Sunday after the vote and uh, Nate's teaching, like another psalm? Like, like that, you know, and I, I don't say that in any sense of like pity, but just like, that's how we're gonna rein in the new thing here? But what God brought to my attention this week, and, and maybe you'll recognize this as a lesson that God's had on the forefront um, for our church here, that this, this, everything we do here, that it's all about God. It's not about, uh, it's not about any of our pastors, any of our staff. It's not about a flashy new vision, mission, series, it's about God. This church has been around in January. It'll be 90 years for us as a local church. 90 years. The reason we've been able to make it uh, 89 plus years is because this was never built on one person. This is built on Christ alone. And this church over the years, right, has been built by people attending their ABFs and being solid Christian brothers and sisters to one another. This church has been built on people serving in the nursery. This church has been built on people sharing their faith with their neighbors, inviting them over to dinner. This church has been built on people who would share their faith with a coworker, right? Who would sit down at lunch and open up their Bible with somebody one-on-one. -on -one. Right, who'd intercede in prayer for the person sitting next to them or for the prayer cards that we pass out so many Sundays. This church has been built on people who go, this isn't about me, this is about God. And so I'm going to stick it out, I'm going to live out my faith. And that's the only reason we stand here 89 years later is because we are a people who are going to put our trust in Christ alone. And so as we step into this next chapter of the chapel, my prayer is that we would do it as Psalm 16 people. 
people who take refuge in God alone, people who recognize God as our Lord, people who know we have no good apart from him, people who see the beauty in Christian community, people who won't bow down to other gods, people who sees the Lord as our portion and our cup and who's given us a beautiful inheritance, people who delight in his counsel and instruction, who always set him before us, who knows that he stands guard at our right hand and who knows that we're secure in his hand, unabandoned and redeemed. And that we could stand here arm in arm saying, God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let me pray for us. God, you are, you're good. You are our Lord, our King. God, we never find satisfaction in anything else but you. God, as we look towards this next chapter as a church, would it not be about the chapel? Would it not be about any single one of us, God? But would it be about you? Would we be people who trust in you, who seek refuge in you, who make you known to the world around us? God, as we go into our weeks and uh, perhaps we're tempted to to kind of think you're a Sunday thing and then just check into the rest of uh, work and family and all the things when we head home from here, God. Would you bring yourself to our mind and our attention this week? Again, glorifying and honoring you in all that we do. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a message from the chapel in Akron, Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. Our Sunday morning services are at 9 and 1040 a.m. You can join us online for our services by going to akronlive.thechapel.life. For more information about the chapel, please visit our website at thechapel.life.